Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast from the Radiology Leadership Institute that profiles radiologists as leaders, seeking insight and inspiration from a variety of perspectives and experiences. I'm Jeff Rubin. Today I will be talking to Dr. William Thorworth, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Radiology. We discuss his early influences, what led him to join a five-person practice in rural North Carolina, and how that practice's commitment to supporting him in a variety of leadership roles early in his career shaped him as a leader. With the patient as his true north, while leading as radiology chair, medical staff chief, hospital board chair, and ultimately as CEO of the ACR, Bill discusses the importance of having good mentors and how relationship building is key to his effectiveness in representing radiology, both locally and nationally. He reflects on the changing priorities of the college and his leadership evolution from a time when self-referral and turf battles were a primary concern to today's focus on team and value-based care. Bill, welcome. Thanks very much, Jeff. It's really a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. We're delighted. It seems that your career has come full circle. Since your birth in Washington, D.C., you've returned. Did, did you grow up in Washington? No. Actually, my father was in medical school at Georgetown when I was born, and soon thereafter, he uh, went to Boston City Hospital for his internship. Uh, and then subsequently his residency at the University of Pennsylvania. And I grew up uh, outside of Philadelphia, uh, living in a suburb as he completed his residency and he joined a practice in the suburban Philadelphia area, Chestnut Hill Hospital. And uh, what was your family life like growing up? It was a terrific uh, experience, honestly. Uh, it was a, a kind of a small suburban community. Um, many of you have heard of King of Prussia, Pennsylvania because of the huge mall that's there. When I moved there, it was one stoplight in Valley Forge Park. <clears throat> so it really, we saw a tremendous uh, change in that environment. But it really was a, a, a terrific place to experience childhood. I uh, got a good education through the public school systems there uh, before my folks uh, moved closer to my dad's work. And then I went off to college. Sounds like a, sounds like a great upbringing. Do you have brothers and sisters? I, I do. I uh, three siblings, uh, uh, one of whom still lives in Pennsylvania, but uh, the others have moved a, a bit more afar, one in California. And my older sister actually is retired now, uh, married to a French chef, and they retired to, uh, to France, actually living in the uh, north end of the Loire Valley. Sounds like a nice visit to make every now and then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So what, what lasting influences do you attribute to your mother and father uh, growing up? How do, you, how do you see, you know, their example, uh, their approach uh, in your upbringing coming to bear on the man that you are today? Um, honestly, one of the major messages uh, uh, my uh, parents always uh, expressed was, if you're going to do anything, uh, do it uh, well. In, in other words, don't take things on that you don't intend uh, to dedicate yourself to, uh, be sure that you prepare yourself for and then follow through. So uh, they were they were both very uh, uh, good uh, inspirations in that light. Um, 
Uh, I mentioned my father was a, a radiologist, uh, and interestingly, he really uh, I only went into his uh, office uh, uh, kind of one time in my teenage years. He wasn't uh, really promotional of radiology as a career, but I, I certainly saw the enjoyment that he experienced from it, and I expect that had uh, a lot to do with my decision and career choice. After graduating medical school at Dartmouth, you actually trained in internal medicine, working for four years as an emergency room physician in New Bern, North Carolina, before entering radiology training at the University of North Carolina. Before I ask you about your time as an ED physician, I'm, I'm curious what led you to Eastern North Carolina in a town of 14,000? Uh, well, I decided to do the internal medicine training excuse me, in significant part because uh, when I was in medical school, I was impressed that the radiologists uh, I met, and I did do a summer internship in the department basically to confirm my career choice, but I was impressed that the radiologists who had done clinical medicine uh, seemed to be able to relate and consult uh, more effectively with the referring physicians. So uh, I thought I would get that uh, background uh, in clinical medicine. Uh, I had signed up in medical school with the National Health Service Corps, and so either owed them uh, time or, or money, and uh, took the position in the ER in eastern North Carolina fundamentally to pay off those educational loans. My chief resident, uh, where I uh, did my internal medicine training, had gone into practice in uh, New Bern, and actually was the contact that led me to uh, that choice of locations. It was a great experience, honestly, one I wouldn't uh, trade uh, for anything. When I did return to uh, radiology residency, it was a great background to bring uh, to that uh, new, new educational experience. So it was your intent to go into radiology all along? I, yeah, when I was pr uh, very convinced after that uh, summer internship during medical school that uh, I was looking at radiology not just out of inertia, you know, because of my father's career, but because it really was uh, a, a specialty that uh, excited me, that I uh, saw great uh, interaction of being the, if you will, kind of at that time we called it the doctor's doctor, uh, where you were a, a problem solver for uh, referring physicians and their patients. And um, gave me, a, uh, likewise, a broad exposure across all of medicine. Uh, you know, at that time, of course, most radiologists practiced uh, in, in a less subspecialized fashion than they do today. And, and yet you served as an ED physician for, what, four years? Yeah, I went down there uh, with the intent of probably staying two. Uh, met my wife, uh, and uh, we had <laughs> several children. Uh, so that uh, by the time I was going back to radiology residence, I figured it was better to spend a little more time and save some money so I could get through the uh, three years of radiology residency uh, with that fam with my family. Yeah, that, that's that's marvelous. So, so thinking back to your years in the emergency department, is there anything that you carry with you today in terms of lessons that help you to be a great radiologist or leader? Uh, yeah, it uh, as I say, it really prepared me with a broad clinical background. So when I came to radiology, I, I had spent four years, you know, whether it be uh, calling uh, physicians at night and explaining to them why we needed to admit their patients or taking care of patients with everything from pediatric to neurosurgical uh, con you know, problems. Um, by the time I got back to radiology or got in, into my residency in radiology, I felt very well equipped to understand what was really clinically important and as importantly, I think, uh, um, how best to evaluate uh, radiologic findings 
but at the same time, make sure you knew what the clinical context was, uh, because one without the other really wasn't uh, the best way to take care of the patient. I've had an opportunity to look at a lot of CVs, and one thing that struck me as unique about your CV was that you specifically recognized Dr. James Scatliff as being the chairman during your residency at the University of North Carolina. Was there anything that he taught you that you continue to carry to this day? Uh, he was really a terrific influence. Uh, Dr. Scatliff was chair at the University of North Carolina, I believe, for about 25 years, and I was felt very I felt very fortunate to uh, be there during his tenure. Um, he likewise was very committed to a patient-centered care approach. Uh, the, the University of North Carolina at that time uh, did not have any, uh, only had a very small number of fellows, I should say, in imaging, uh, meaning nuclear medicine, CT, and ultrasound, and no fellows in any other subdivision. So as a result, the, radio the residents got a lot of experience. Dr. Scadliff's uh, uh, oversight of the department was very, very clinically oriented, and that really served me well in, in the, uh, my anticipated uh, practice career. Um, also, I think that he has set a tone. There was never any uh, undue pressure on residents. There were certainly expectations, but uh, he was very much a positive influence throughout the department and remains uh, a role model for me today. Sounds like he was a terrific mentor. How have you turned to mentors to guide you throughout your career, and do you still turn to mentors or colleagues for advice today? Oh, absolutely. I, there's there's really no substitute, uh, and maybe in a little bit we'll get to talk about my good fortune when I joined the practice in uh, Hickory, North Carolina, that <clears throat> the senior member of the department was very involved with the American College of Radiology. But uh, yes, even till today, and even when I was considering accepting this position as CEO for the college, contacted a number of uh, people that I'd come across over time uh, and asked their opinions about that second career choice. And uh, e even now, when I have challenges, I uh, have a number of folks that I can tap into uh, for advice. And uh, hopefully, uh, a number of uh, the people that I've had the chance to work with, particularly, say, in ACR economics, feel that I've been able to mentor them as well. Now, two years after completing your radiology residency at UNC, you were named chairman of radiology at Catawba Medical Center. How did that come about? Yes, we, our practice covered two hospitals, Catawba Valley Medical Center and Fry Regional Medical Center. Um, I, honestly, one of the, my uh, senior partners, not the one I mentioned earlier, had been department chair there for some time. And, uh, you know, he approached me about becoming his vice chair uh, soon after arriving. Uh, it, it was He felt it was a good time for transition. And so, uh, you know, pretty early on, I got uh, cast into that uh, uh, that position, but uh, it was really a good good experience, somewhat of a trial by fire, uh, somewhat remarkably. At the same time, I was approached by members of the medical staff at, at uh, Fry uh, Regional Medical Center to be a member at large on their executive committee. So, at the at the one time, I was serving on the executive committees of the of the two competing hospitals across town, which was, as you imagine, uh, an interesting experience. I can well imagine. And uh, I can also imagine that you were probably one of the ju most junior members, both of your radiology practice, uh, as well as on the medical staff. H how did you, 
uh, sort of gain credibility and uh, establish yourself uh, as a leader at that early stage? Uh, I think a large part of it had to do with uh, being an effective listener. Um, obviously, I had a lot to learn within the community, uh, both the medical community and the community as a whole. Uh, so I think that during the first couple of years, I really, uh, with the practice, I really uh, made a, a distinct effort to reach out to those that were medical staff leaders uh, to kind of learn the dynamics uh, the interactions with the administrations. And uh, I think, you know, with likewise within my practice group, tried to tap into uh, e each of the individuals. It was only a five-person practice when I joined it, but each of them and kind of their respective talents, uh, their contacts within the medical community. And I think that probably the, the listening component uh, more than anything else, I think, was the, uh, um, uh, the major factor. As a result, uh, I think when I didn't, you know, speak up and make comments, usually they were seen as in the context of the practicing community and not seen as some uh, young whippersnapper who was just stepping up and trying to change things. Did you have any uh, challenges uh, whatsoever that you can recall with senior members who uh, tested you uh, in your role as a leader? Uh, there, there were several people uh, who um, I think it wasn't so much, uh, I think, a test. I think it was a, a reasonable challenge, uh, whether it be being appointed to committees within the medical staff um, and taking on additional responsibility. Uh, I think that the uh, we had actually a significant test of that leadership because soon after I became department chair at uh, the one at Cadaver Valley Medical Center, actually we had a, a person in our radiology, we kind of splinter off and form a second radiology practice within the hospital. And you can imagine the challenge of those dynamics that lasted for a number of years. Uh, and we had to kind of res resolve the interworkings and how that, how that was going to be sorted out. But um, so, yeah, it was that, that more than an individual, that was probably the largest challenge that I had during that uh, time as a department chair. That, that does sound challenging. What, what was your ultimate resolution? Uh, fundamentally, uh, the our practice was very committed to a kind of 24-7 uh, personalized service to the referring community. And fortunately um, for us, the uh, the other practice was not of the same not mindset. And so over time, it became apparent that, that uh, it, it was not, as I said at that time, if we were going to have competition, that was the kind of competition we wanted to have. So in, in essence, we just... Um, made sure that we remained committed to the well-being of the patients uh, to in support of the, the hospital and medical staff, and it sorted itself out uh, kind of organically over time. In a sense, it seems like the competition really allowed you to differentiate yourselves and to uh, give uh, the folks at the uh, medical center a, a sense of the value that you were bringing relative to the alternative. That's exactly right. So serving as uh, a member of the Medical Executive Committee and ultimately as the Chief of Staff and Board Chair at Fry Regional, how did you approach balancing the needs of the medical center or diverse medical staff with those of your partners in radiology? Well, our, our practice was committed to those leadership roles. And I think that's really a, a key message. I think if I were to convey to any of the listeners, um, 
be sure that you're supporting, if you're not doing this type of work yourself, that you're supporting your partners who are because integration into the medical staff and be, being seen as a resource to both medical staff and administration and, and as a leader in those roles, I think it stands your practice in very good stead. Uh, it was, uh, I'd say it was a gr- good experience to me, particularly it was my first, if you will, venture uh, to a multi-specialty position. So as I became chief of staff, uh, I had to balance the needs not to, and not have a parochial interest in radiology. I think that uh, going forward, and we'll pr- probably talk about this later, is uh, when I got involved, say, with the AMA's CPT editorial panel, having the background of being able to understand the perspectives of different specialties became a critical element. Uh, then when I advanced on to the uh, board of trustees and subsequently became chair, uh, it was really, uh, I think, in large part, uh, the ability to, uh, there, there you had obviously several other medical staff members on the board, but you also had the lay uh, community leadership in the in the room. So it was very important to develop relationships with them, understand their businesses and perspectives, and then again, uh, show them that you were going to be a resource on behalf of uh, the uh, entire medical staff. And uh, I think uh, in, in when I became uh, board chair, then obviously uh, on behalf of the entire hospital organization. Now, fast forwarding today, where you're, you're sitting as the CEO of a major um, medical college representing the specialty of radiology, to, to what extent do these sensibilities carry forward to your interaction with other medical specialty colleges and academies? Um, are you uh, similarly sort of collaborating in a cross-specialty manner with other colleges? And how does this collaboration potentially advance the ACR's mission? Yeah, fortunately, uh, there is a very strong network of the CEOs or executive directors uh, of numerous medical societies. Uh, There is an organization called the Council of Medical Specialty Societies uh, that includes membership of 43 societies, uh, each of which uh, the CEO or executive director is a participant in what, what is called the CEO component group. So that, uh, when I stepped into this role without uh, you know, any background in this type of kind of particularly management of a, a relatively large organization, became a real resource. Uh, at the same time, there's a subsegment of that group that also has a listserv, and we multi- several times a week will have a question posed uh, by one of the CEOs about something they're dealing with in their organization to tap into the uh, experience and uh, potential solutions that uh, may have been uh, discovered by others. So it really is a very uh, helpful and tight-knit network. Um, in that group, uh, I would say the, the non-physician CEOs are about 60, 65% physician CEOs, the, uh, uh, the remainder. So it's, you, you get a lot of different perspectives, and it's a really helpful uh, group, group to have, uh, kind of support group to have. It sounds like it's really tremendously collaborative and supportive. I think that, you know, oftentimes when we think about some of the cross-specialty tensions that develop uh, and, um, you know, different priorities, uh, I think some of us might imagine that there might be tensions uh, between uh, different medical colleges and such, but it doesn't sound like uh, you are experiencing that, at least in this forum. No, that's really true. Uh, and one of the when when the ACR uh, created its uh, 
or revised its strategic plan in 2014, one of the uh, six goals established was uh, uh, external relationships. And I think this not only goes for relationships with other radiology societies, but goes across the entire house of medicine. And of course, even beyond that, to groups like patient advocacy groups or government uh, agencies, et cetera. So uh, it is an expressed uh, part of our strategic plan to maintain and uh, optimize our relationships with the other societies. Uh, are there issues, uh, turf issues that exist between different specialties? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and whenever we can, I think we, we try to work collaboratively, keeping the patient care as the focus uh, to make sure that we're, you know, all working on, on that as our kind of true north or primary goal. So, Bill, it's been 20 years since you first served uh, and the ACR Board of Chancellors. Maybe uh, you might share with us what were the principal concerns for the specialty at that time and how have they evolved to the point we are at today? Yeah, it really was a, a, a very different uh, world. When my first involvement with the ACR nationally uh, was actually at the uh, time of the beginning of the what were then called standards, uh, then eventually called guidelines and now called practice parameters. So I was on a committee for general and pediatric radiology in developing uh, practice standards. And at, at that time, the emphasis really was on trying to uh, make sure that the specialty stood up for uh, the optimization of the care that was delivered through this. And uh, it's, of course, now developed to our Commission on Quality and Safety, uh, and I think has been become a cornerstone of uh, the accreditation programs that exist out there that have uh, come to be over time. And of course, uh, in 2008 became federally mandated. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of other physicians and practices trying to get into imaging uh, in, in their outpatient offices and the like. And uh, the college took a very strong stance that if people were going to do this, they were going to have to step up to a level of quality uh, that, um, you know, was uh, optimal for uh, the patients. And so that I'd say that at that time, uh, the, the standards was a, uh, the important uh, piece that was going on. Second, soon thereafter, however, uh, the, um, uh, pos- the concept of appropriateness became a real cornerstone. And under the leadership of K.K. Wallace, uh, who was chair of the board, w- the ACR began to develop the appropriateness criteria. Now we're talking kind of mid-90s. And um, that has become, uh, the, again, the fundamental building block of uh, the now uh, legislatively mandated consultation for appropriate use criteria for advanced diagnostic imaging ser- services uh, that will go into effect. Uh, the mandate will go into effect January 1st, 2020. So we, we went through a, you know, a, a time there where d- development of the appropriateness criteria was really key. Uh, my my uh, particular area of focus, as you mentioned earlier, was in the economics of radiology, and that's been obviously a, a key component of what our membership expects of us. Uh, once I took that turn and began to participate in the coding, uh, the reimbursement structure through the Resource-Based Relative Value Update Committee, uh, recommendations to Medicare, to CMS, um, that really became uh, my major, uh, if you will, kind of uh, area of interest and contribution. And there, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, there we were dealing with, you know, all the different specialties in the uh, fora of the CPT uh, process and the so-called RUC uh, 
resource-based relative value system update committee process. And uh, I think that has been continued to be a focus even until today. Uh, fast forward to the present, obviously, we've got the uh, uh, move toward value-based care and the mandates of uh, the macro legislation, <clears throat> which uh, I think is going to be uh, driven in large part by the quality payment program from CMS. I think we've just now evolved towards putting a, a lot of effort and resources uh, toward demonstrating the value of radiology uh, to, as a key member of the healthcare team. When you uh, became CEO, you stepped into some very big shoes. Harvey Neiman was CEO for what, about 10 years? Just about 10 years, that's right. And once you learned that you would be the next CEO of the ACR, what did you do to prepare? Well, going back to the mentorship, I was fortunate to have been on the the college's uh, board of chancellors at the time that Harvey was chair. And so we had a number of years of overlap there, and I learned an awful lot from him. Uh, when I you know, was considering this position, obviously the first person I called was Harvey to find out uh, what, was, what the job was all about, how he perceived it, how he made the transition from you know, his clinical practice into the role of uh, association executive. And um, even until, oh, geez, uh, after, even after I accepted the position, uh, I had the chance to sit down and visit with him. Uh, there was a time during uh, his illness, uh, I got a chance to talk with him and get guidance uh, from him about uh, you know getting started and uh, how, how best to interact with this incredibly uh, talented staff. So uh, again, going back to the mentorship concept, even until uh, uh, what a month before I started, I was looking for that advice. Now, when you think back to the leadership strategies and, and competencies that you had uh, developed and applied when you were the ACR board chair, what differences were required as you became CEO? How did you need to evolve your essential strategies or develop new competencies? Yes, um, I actually served as ACR president and, and not as board chair, but from the leadership role as a volunteer to the leadership role as CEO. Uh, there is a, a very different, uh, obviously, uh, set of requirements, a very uh, different set of um, aspirations. And uh, I think that the interworkings of staff leadership and our volunteer leadership is really the key to, I think, the success of the organization. Um, so I've been extremely fortunate to uh, when I started, uh, Paul Ellenbogen was finishing his term as chair. Bib Allen stepped into that role for two years. Jim Brink then for two years. And now, of course, Geraldine McGinty as uh, the first woman uh, chair of the Board of Chancellors. I've been extremely uh, uh, fortunate to have volunteer leadership that uh, with whom I have a great relationship. But uh, as importantly, I think we have kind of common vision of uh, where, where the college is going. Uh, and, of course, that vision is... Uh, considerably guided by the strategic plan. But, but from the standpoint of uh, your uh, responsibility and role to the college as the CEO, has it required you to reconsider some of the strategies that you bring to bear on a daily basis or certain competencies that you've needed to get that you didn't have before? Oh, I, I, there's no question. As I say, I was in an, uh, when I left the practice, an 18-person practice uh, with really no 
the significant, uh, uh, say, human resources or budgeting responsibilities. And all of these were skills that uh, I had to uh, acquire, become comfortable with, and quite frankly, uh, understand how delegation of those, you can't do everything for everyone, delegation of those responsibilities to our extremely talented and dedicated uh, executive vice president group. So it really, the if you will, the, uh, the concept of managing an organization that now is approaching uh, 475 employees was not at all in my background. And there was an awful uh, a lot to learn and a pretty steep learning curve uh, because I wanted to get up to speed as quickly as possible. Do, do people treat you differently now that you were CEO? I would hope not. One of my major objectives when I came in was that I have all the staff uh, fairly well convinced that they can comfortably call me Bill. Uh, I, I do think that the people see you as a guide to accomplishing the strategic plan. I think that the uh, main message uh, I had from day one till now is that we're all working towards a common purpose. And if you, if as a leader, as a staff leader, I can be sure that all of our uh, staff understand that they may have their specific individual project uh, or team that they're working on. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is all of this aggregates uh, to this common purpose. Uh, uh, there's an expression that says people will show up for a paycheck, they'll work for a person, but they'll dedicate themselves to a purpose. And I think that's really very true. Uh, and I'm proud to say that uh, the, the, the college staff is uh, uh, fully committed to that. And I see every day uh, individuals at every level in the organization demonstrating the, that uh, understanding. And do, do you think regularly about the importance of continuing to articulate that purpose and laying out that mission for everybody to remain aligned? Uh, ab- absolutely. it's It's got to be a commitment uh, from the top leadership to continue to convey that message. Uh, as an example, I have a, a breakfast every month with the employees who, whose anniversary it is uh, for as far as their ACR employment that month. And so we, we've done this now for four years. And I pick a kind of a theme each year uh, to to do, uh, but before we before I get into talking to them uh, during those breakfasts, uh, we each, we go around the table and everyone introduces themselves. Oftentimes, there there are people there that haven't met, but just because they work in different areas of the college, uh, uh, describe what they do, and then take a minute or two to describe something else that's going on interesting on in their lives outside the college. And by doing that, yeah, I think we've really uh, been able to build a sense of camaraderie, a sense of uh, kind of knowing, knowing each other and knowing e- the other segments of the uh, college. But the, the first year, I actually, my, my theme was talking to them about uh, the, a day in the life of the radiologist, because though we have many uh, folks on the staff who are former technologists and the like, uh, we have a number of folks who didn't have uh, medical, medical background experience. Then the second year, we talked about the college's programs and projects and how that contributes to the, uh, to the care that's delivered on an everyday basis, uh, things like appropriateness criteria or practice guidelines or, or practice parameters or the, uh, the RADS reporting system, those types of things. Um, and then most recently, I've given them a talk about the history of the college so that they have an understanding that where they are in this point in time is standing on the shoulders of people all the way back to our uh, our beginnings in 1924. 
Um, so as I say, th- those kinds of things give you give a leader the opportunity, I think, to convey to the staff, uh, the continue to convey the purpose, reinforce our sort of core purpose statement in our strategic plan, and make sure everybody feels like uh, they're contributing to that. As you have uh, evolved in your role as CEO and thinking back again to your days as president of the board, do you view the ACR's essential role differently? Um, no, I think uh, you have to, the college has to be nimble uh, because the environment in which uh, radiologists practice and our organization tries to empower them uh, changes. So I do think that um, if I were to look back, as I was president of the college in 2004, and there was a whole different set of dynamics. Uh, as many will recall, that was a time when the self-referral and turf battles and all was a really high-profile portion uh, of what the college was concentrating on. Uh, I think our advocacy efforts and other things at that time were very focused on that. Uh, by the time I became CEO, the environment was quite different. I think the evolution towards team-based healthcare and the need to uh, be sure that we're not, uh, you know, parochial. We certainly are uh, here to serve our members and empower radiologists, but we know that we're we're going to be existing in an environment that um, I think requ- requires that those kinds of inter-organizational uh, and interspecialty uh, relationships. So. Yeah, the, the 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 organization has to stay nimble. Uh, it's a very very dynamic time. Uh, there was a there's a great quote in the end of the uh, Jim Collins's most recent book on great by choice, where he says there is no new normal. These are uh, times are going to be changing continuously, and fundamentally, just get used to it. And I think we have to be uh, sensitive to that fact. Now, of course, working with. Uh the board chairs uh, and the rest of the board of chancellors that is a group of folks that are elected and are uh, changing on a regular basis, you're, you're a constant. How do you see your responsibility to advance the ACR's priorities relative to uh, the members of the board of chancellors and uh, the chair in particular? Well, it is a, a, a interesting role, and um, again, I've, this is something that the CEO component group I was talking about earlier constantly discusses because uh, we have we are very fortunate, I will say, uh, in in the ACR to have had leadership that uh, is completely dedicated, despite obviously having to keep up with their day jobs when they step into the vice chair role and then uh, subsequently into the chair role. They know that they're making a major commitment. Um, I do think that uh, with the uh, design and implementation of the strategic plan in 2014, and then it was recently, uh, you know, reviewed and updated in 2017, that that, uh, in addition to the senior staff CEO and senior staff leadership, maintain the constancy uh, and keep us away from a sinusoidal wave of this chair comes in and has this particular, you know, goal or set of priorities and this, then you go to the next one and you move in a different direction. Um, the, uh, our leadership has been you know, really terrific about using the strategic plan and setting their respective priorities, though they may be subtly different, they still have this common thread uh, that's built on that plan. And I, again, I think that the, the CEO's role and the 
uh, seniors staff's role is to make sure, and uh, quite frankly, even the uh, key staff people working with each of the respective commissions are to be sure that we guide that process, uh, not to constrain uh, new ideas. We certainly want uh, new and innovative ideas to come forward with new leadership, uh, but make sure that they, uh, again, are implemented within the framework of the uh, strategic plan. Writing in the JACR in 2006, you asked if our profession was worth 1%, challenging every radiology practice through practice level or individual radiology contributions to allocate 1% of net revenues to support research, education, and political advocacy. Are there signs that the profession has listened? Uh, this, if I have any frustration in my career, subsequent to that, uh, actually in JACR, when there was a column that was started, my best idea and my worst idea, um, I cited this uh, proposal again. Uh, I still feel very strongly that uh, radiologists are extremely fortunate to practice in what I think is the most exciting specialty. I think we get to do great things in support of patient care, but we need to support those uh, infrastructure components. And the fourth uh, component of that article was local service. And that's something I presume all radiology practices and academic departments strive to do. But supportive you know, th those three elements, uh, I think, are going to be critical. And they do require money. There's no question about it. I think that uh, private, pri particularly private practice radiologists, of which I was my entire career, need to understand that their new partners all come from academic training programs, that the educational uh, uh, the education that they are able to tap into to keep current uh, comes largely out of the academic community. I think that the po political advocacy uh, is is key. There's no question we work in a regulated industry and to be able to support um, uh, political leaders who will be decision makers, I think is going to be, uh, it, it will continue to be critical throughout all of our practice careers. So, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, I would espouse to all uh, all radiologists to reconsider that. It did not get the traction, quite frankly. I hoped it, it got. I I used to use the analogy of you know I paid more than I paid more than one percent of my net income uh, for disability insurance. This is just kind of professional insurance by investing in those three uh, those three areas. I, I I would love to see that. Uh, uh, that catch hold and uh, become uh, more widely accepted. We did have a we have a very significant hardcore of contributors, whether it be to the to our political action committee RADPAC, whether it be to our foundation or the R and E foundation for SNA, Rankin Fund, or some of the subspecialty societies. Uh, I think you have to look for where you want to put. But if if we were to accomplish that, uh, you know, we would have over a hundred million dollars a year coming at a very, very small cost per individual uh, to help us advance the specialty, uh, the pr profession, and, of course, healthcare in general. Shortly after your appointment as CEO, you spoke of apathy as one of your greatest concerns for the specialty. What do you see as the danger to the field? Yeah, I, I, it's certainly not a new problem. I think there is a, a large component uh, of the you know kind of radiology community and radiologists in particular uh, that have a sense that new modalities will continue to 
you know, be developed and that um, it'll all come about just naturally and they don't need to become active participants. I think we've seen this with the evolution of uh, and, and the Imaging 3.0 campaign, the strategy that the ACRC has for uh, as optimal for radiology in the future. We still see practices that are, aren't as forward thinking uh, and want to kind of practice the same old way. So I do think that apathy has the danger of uh, allowing either individual practices or the profession to drift behind what is a rapidly advancing uh, healthcare environment. Um, so I, I, yeah, I do think that that still exists. Uh, if I were asked the same question again, as far as what keeps me up at night, I think that's still uh, that's still you know in the in the top two or three. Um, do hope that uh, radiologists will and, and leaders in radiology in practices and in academic departments will continue to you know understand that change is going to be necessary though hard uh, and I think that we're are, we're going to be best served by not sitting on the sidelines uh, uh, in an apathetic mode. So, so what do you see as our key strategies or remedies to address this? Uh, again, I think. I mentioned the imaging 3.0 strategy. I think that that, uh, radiologists need to understand that they need to be interactive. Uh, They need to be uh, more than a report. If we are nothing but report generators, the things like artificial intelligence and machine learning can potentially uh, uh, replace us or uh, interpretations from elsewhere. Uh, If we're not seen as an integral part of the team, uh, I think that um, we're not going to garner the respect that we frankly deserve uh, as major contributors. And uh, that, again, I think is um, probably going to be the, ma- the major challenge uh, at, because we're kind of trying to fix the plane while we're flying it. Uh, you know, there, there's still the huge demand uh, as far as uh, productivity, to both to satisfy the clinical requirements, uh, but also I think practices, uh, unfortunately, cling to the emphasis on on RVU or relative value unit productivity. Uh, and I do think that that's going to really create uh, a problem if we don't let go of that um, and, you know, accept the fact that we're moving uh, towards uh, alternate payment and alternate delivery systems. Uh, and we want to be leaders in that change, not uh, pawns uh, and taking along kicking and screaming. In an era where large radiology practices are traded as public companies or owned and managed through private equity, how does the ACR continue to engage all radiologists setting the standard for our profession? Uh, this is a real challenge. And in fact, we uh, recently, uh, Dr. Jim Brink uh, appointed and uh, Dr. McGinty continues to support uh, a task force that's examining this question. Uh, we, uh, that is the ACR, feel like we are the re- representatives of all radiologists, regard- regardless of their employment model, regardless of uh, you know what uh, situation they're practicing. Uh, and so we need to make sure that we have a value proposition uh, in each of those uh, spheres. They'll be different. In, in, as we obviously uh, attract membership of individual radiologists, that's a, that's a different message and a different approach than if we're talking to the CFO of a, of a company that employs hundreds of radiologists. Uh, I do think that the core functions of the college, and particularly in the advocacy and economics realm, and our uh, involvement and integration into the systems that exist uh, make us the only organization uh, that can do that in an effective and efficient way. So I, 
I think that we will continue to push uh, to make sure that we demonstrate that value and convince uh, cre- and create a compelling message to those leaders, whether they be radiologists or business people, of the uh, value of the college. Bill, you've been so successful and accomplished so much. Looking back, is there anything that you wish you had done differently? Uh, no, I think, uh, I, I, again, uh, most of this somewhat happened organically. Uh, I, I, I had no roadmap or plan. Uh, I think that uh, one thing, uh, I guess, uh, all folks who are in leadership positions look back and say, geez, whether it be, you know, did I uh, pay enough attention to family and uh, other matters outside uh, you know, work? Uh, I'd say sometimes I uh, have a couple of things I wish I might have done a little bit differently there. But from a professional standpoint, uh, I think uh, I've been very fortunate and uh, uh, feel like I've had the opportunity uh, to work with multiple great organizations. Of course, the college being first and foremost as far as my experience, but the time I spent with the uh, RSNA, uh, both on their Research and Education uh, Foundation Board of Trustees and the Board of Directors, uh, the time I spent with the AMA, uh, working with the uh, CPT coding group, all of them have been uh, very positive experiences. I don't think I wouldn't uh, change any of those stepping stones uh, uh, on the way to where we are today and look forward to where, uh, where it goes from here. What would you consider your most rewarding moment as a leader? Oh, boy, that's a hard one. I think recognition by your peers uh, is always uh, inc- incredibly rewarding. So I, I think that the uh, uh, the receipt of the gold medal from the ACR um, as a recognition of contributions during my volunteer years uh, as far as a, a single professional moment uh, was the uh, most rewarding. One, one final question. What, what advice would you offer to uh, young leaders and, and leaders in the, in the throes of uh, complicated environments? Uh, what advice would you offer them to maintain balance and perspective? Yeah, I think first, you know, look for opportunities to get involved in the things that excite you. Uh, professionally, you know, uh, uh, whether it be within your local medical staff, whether it be within organizations, um, uh, make sure that you're doing, uh, choosing things, not because you think it's got some uh, kind of award or reward at the end, but because it's something that really uh, gets you up in the morning, uh, excited and with a smile on your face. Uh, And yeah, take Take uh, the time to smell the roses because uh, it's important to be able to step out of your working mode and enjoy things on the outside as well. Oftentimes, you may be able to get involved in things within your community uh, or obviously with your family, Uh, but be sure you ensure that from the standpoint of your own kind of personal health and well-being that you're uh, integrating those two. People talk about a work-life balance. I think it's really more uh, a work-life integration. We know that we spend probably more time at work than we do in any other single endeavor in life other than maybe sleep. Uh, but I think that um, making sure you integrate the two to a level, to a balance that you're comfortable with is going to be the critical thing. How do you unwind, Bill? 
Honestly, uh, fa- family is a uh, major factor. Uh, uh, and now, of course, our kids are growing and gone. We have, have uh, eight grandchildren, so that keeps us busy. And, and then doing uh, you know, some traveling to just literally physically get away, uh, I think, is, is a real good thing. You have to be able to turn off the electronic leashes that we all have periodically and uh, refresh. Dr. Bill Thorworth, thank you very much for your leadership and dedication to our specialty and taking the time to speak to us today. Jeff, it's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. Please join me next time when I speak with Judy Yee, who after 25 years at the University of California, San Francisco, 14 as chief of the San Francisco VA, has returned to her native New York in the Bronx to chair the Department of Radiology at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. We discuss her cross-continental transition and how cultural variations influence her leadership approach between the two institutions. We also explore her engagement in ELAM, a program dedicated to leadership training and mentorship for high-level women leaders in healthcare. Finally, we discuss her ongoing national leadership advocating for acceptance of and reimbursement for CT colonography. Taking the Lead is a production of the Radiology Leadership Institute and the American College of Radiology. Special thanks go to Anne-Marie Pascoe, Senior Director of the RLI and co-producer of this podcast. To Brian Russell for technical support, Megan Giampapa for our marketing, and Shane Yoder for our theme music. Finally, thank you, our audience, for listening and for your interest in radiology leadership. We welcome your feedback, questions, and ideas for future conversations. You can find us on Twitter at RLI underscore ACR, Facebook at Radiology Leaders, or you can send us an email at RLI at ACR.org. I'm your host, Jeff Rubin from Duke University, and I look forward to you joining me next time on Taking the Lead. <laughs>